This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoazaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, who is Joash, the son of Ahaziah in Judah? You remember last week we told you that uh, when Ahaziah uh, was reigning and he died, uh, his mother Athaliah, who was the daughter of Jezebel in the northern kingdom, how that she slaughtered all the males of his family. And because he was only about 22, 23 when he died, you can understand that they were all very, very young. Probably most of them were infants. Uh, but she did not want to have any succession to his throne because she had it in her heart that she would succeed to the throne. And she did for a little while. She was self-appointed. Uh, but she slaughtered all, all of her grandchildren. Can you imagine that? All of the boys. Except one, little Joash, who was just a babe. And his... Uh, his uh, let, me, let me get this right. His... Father's sister spared his little life. And she was married to a priest, Jehoahat. And they hid this little child in the temple of the Lord. And the reason why they hid him there is because it was in disuse. It was in disrepair. It wasn't being used because they were idolatrous. So it was a safe place to put him. And they kept him there and taught him and trained him until he was seven years old. And then Jehoda, he announced that he, this little boy at seven years old, he would be the king in Judah. And of course, when Athaliah found that out, she was mad, but they killed her. They, they slew her. And so that little boy, Joash, then he grew up with this priest, Jehoda, as his mentor. And he was a godly man, this priest, and he did mentor him well. In fact, all the years that Jehoada lived, Joash did wonderfully well. And there was a kind of mini revival. One of the things he did was, was to clean up the house of God and repair the house of God. But when Jehoahaz died, then this young king, Joash, sadly, uh, he began to lose his way. And he ended up, he was a very weak king. And when Hazael, the king of Syria, came to attack Jerusalem and threatened to attack Jerusalem, he took all the gold and the silver and the sacred and the precious things of his father and his forefathers, and he gave them all away to try to buy off this impending doom. And it worked for a while, it did. But it shows you how weak he had become because he didn't have his mentor beside him. As long as Jehoda was there, he was fine. But when he was gone, then there was not much within himself to take on this role. Eventually, he was uh, assassinated by two of the servants. But here we are now in the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Azahiah, king of Judah. Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. By the way, when you see the, the word Joash and Jehoash, it means the same thing. It's a variant. 
And, and we, we discovered already in this series that you get a lot of that. It's kind of shortened a little bit. So whether it's Joash or Jehoash, the name means exactly the same thing. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, and he did not depart from them. Uh, the sins of Jeroboam uh, was the worship of the golden calves at Dan and Bethel. And these still remained. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. So Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. Now this is a rare thing. For a king of Israel to plead with the Lord was rare in these days. Remember, they're idolatrous. They've left Jehovah behind. They're not worshiping the true and living God. But no doubt, constantly being attacked by Syria, no doubt knowing that their small army was little against the might of Syria, there was panic and fear and anxiety. And at long last, he pleaded with the Lord God of Israel. No doubt he had talked to his gods, probably made pilgrimages to Dan and Bethel to those golden calf shrines. But these gods had ears, but they heard not. They had eyes, but they saw not. They had hands, but they could not help. And so at long last, he pleads for help from the Lord. If national leaders would go to the Lord God for help, our countries would be in better shape. Amen. They go to the United Nations, they go to NATO, they go to the IMF, International Monetary Fund, they go everywhere, but go to God. If they would just go to God and humble themselves and say, I need help, our nation needs your help, things would change dramatically. And so... He pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians. And the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Actually, this deliverer was going to be his son, Joash. All right? Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them, and the wooden image also remained in Samaria. This was Asherah. This was a Canaanite fertility goddess. Uh, all kinds of vile worship went on, as you can imagine. For he left of the army of Jehoahaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. So they're not in good shape as a nation. They had been idolatrous for years. And for the first time in years, a king of Israel has come to the Lord to plead for his help. They're in trouble spiritually. They're in trouble economically. They're in trouble militarily. They've got just a runt of an army left against the great, powerful might of the Syrians. And so it goes on to say then, 
Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehoahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash, his son, reigned in his place. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. Now, let's just think for a moment. Here again, for the second time, we have two kings with the same name, one reigning in the ten-nation kingdom called Israel, and one reigning in the two-nation kingdom called Judah. This has happened before in our studies over these Sunday mornings. You remember Jehoram or Joram. Uh, both names meant the same. One ruled in the north, one ruled in the south. So here we have this history repeating itself. And it says, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did, and his might with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash rested with his fathers, then, Jehor then Jeroboam sat on his throne, and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now we're going to go on here in a moment to talk about this king, Joash. Uh, even though it's said now he's dead, but remember this is not in chronological order. So it's telling you beforehand, before we read about him really here, it's telling you how he died and he was buried and so forth. But just to back up just a little bit, Elisha had a long, successful ministry uh, in Israel. Uh, during his time as the prophet of Israel, actually there was 11 Jewish kings and two kings of Syria. And the 11 Jewish kings, six of them over Israel, Ahab, Ahaziah, Jehoram, Jehu, Jehoahaz, and Joash. And the kings of Judah were Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Azahiah, and then a little bit after that, Athaliah, his mother, the, who was Jezebel's daughter. And then Joash and Amaziah. So there's 11 Jewish kings in this usurper of a queen over Judah. And two kings of Syria, Ben-Hadad II and Hazael. Now, why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that for a couple of reasons. First of all, to let you know that he, Elisha, ministered a very, very long time. By the time he dies, which we'll see in the next verse, he was a very old man. He was at least 80 years old, probably 90, some say even more. So that must mean that he ministered probably at least 60 years, maybe 70 years. That's a long ministry. And his life, his life touched the lives of 11 Jewish kings and two Syrian kings. So here's a man who had a long, fruitful, successful ministry. But as we go to read the next verse about Elisha dying, this is the first time we have read about Elisha since, do you remember how he told the young prophet to go on Mount Jehu to be king over Israel? Do you know how long that was? That was at least 50 years ago. So since the last time 
Elisha was mentioned in Scripture to this time we're about to mention it now was at least 50 years. And not one single word of record is left what happened during those 50 years. You say, well, what happened to him? Did he retire? No. He was the principal of the schools of the prophets, of which there were several, so he was very busy. He still prophesied, but the Holy Spirit only records that what, which we need to know. He did lots of things, no doubt, but the Holy Spirit only records for us that which we need to know. Do you know, over there in the Gospel of John, in the very last chapter, uh, chapter 21, in the very last verse, verse 25, John says, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. <clears throat> so not everything Jesus said, not everything Jesus did is recorded for us. But the Holy Spirit does record for us everything he said and did that we need to know. Amen? And it's the same with the prophet Elisha. So here, 50 years later, he's still on the go, but he's an old, old man. He's dying. He's on his deathbed. And here's the last physical act that he does while he's yet alive. Something happens just after he dies, but we'll see that in a moment. It says in verse 14, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. We don't know what that illness was. We don't know what the sickness was. Maybe it was old age related. But whatever it was, he died of that particular illness. Here is the mighty miracle worker. I mean, this man is right up there with Moses. This man's miracles far surpassed even Elijah, his predecessor. And yet at the end of his life, he dies of the sickness whereof he died. How could we explain that? He died. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Now, again, this is a tremendous thing that's happening and highly unusual. Normally, it would be the prophet going to the kings to deliver God's word to them. But this time, we see this king, Joash, king of Israel, coming to Elisha. He knows he's old. He knows he's dying. He knows he's on his deathbed. And so he's desperate. He's desperate He's being constantly attacked by Syria. His army is at its lowest ebb. He needs something to happen. And he knows the only person in the land that he can go to is the man of God, the prophet Elisha. Would to God that world leaders would go to the men of God and their nation. For years and for years and years, Billy Graham was known as the president's pastor. Why? Because presidents for years would call on Billy Graham, would bring him to the White House, and ask for his wise counsel and for his prayers. They coveted his prayers. They had so much respect and admiration for the man that they did that. Now, we know in many recent years there's presidential breakfasts, 
But sadly, in recent years, I think it's more to be was to court the religious right because the religious right was very, very strong when it came to voting, particularly for the Republican Party. Now they don't seem to care about the religious right at all. The religious right doesn't even have any rights anymore. But here is this king, and he goes to Elisha. He's paying him great respect. This is highly unusual to see this. And so he goes, and he weeps over him. So he definitely has some respect and some feeling when he sees this old warrior, this great prophet of God on his deathbed, knowing he's about to die, he breaks down into tears over his bed. Then he says, Oh, my father, my father. That's a respectful term, isn't it? My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Some say this is a military statement, but actually these are the very words that Elisha had said to Elijah just before he departed in that fiery departure into heaven. So maybe this king, knowing the history of Elisha and Elijah, maybe this king, maybe he was thinking and maybe hoping to see that if he was going to die, maybe the Lord would take him in a fiery chariot up into heaven, but that didn't happen. But here he is. He's needing an answer. He's seeking God and the wisdom of God. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. So what he's about to tell this king, he's first of all showing him that what I'm about to tell you and show you to do, I want you to know that the hand of God is going to be with you in this. By him putting his hand on the king's hand, that was as good as God putting his hand on the king's hand. That's what that was implying. God's hand is going to be on you in this endeavor that you're about to do. That must have been encouraging for him to hear that because he knew that what this man said was going to be true for sure. And so he put his hand on the king's hands and he said, open the east window. That's the direction of the Syrians where they were attacking. It was east and north, but that was the direction where they were attacking. So open, open this east window. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. By shooting this arrow was making a declaration of war against Syria. In other words, Elisha was saying, Joash, you're going to have to go on the offensive here. You've been on the defensive for years, but now it's time to go on the offensive. You're going to have to take the initiative here, and you're going to have to declare war against the Syrians. From time to time, we have got to declare war against our enemy. Amen. And our enemy is not flesh and blood. We fight and we wrestle, not with flesh and blood 
but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our battle is a spiritual battle, and sometimes we have to come against our enemy. We have to take the offensive. Rather than us being hammered, we've got to strike back. And this is what he's telling this king. The weapons of our warfare, they're not bow and arrows. The weapons of war, warfare, they are spiritual, aren't they? They're not carnal, they're spiritual. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So he said, open the window. Then he said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. So he's letting him know God's going to be on your side in this battle. The Lord is going to take up your cause. It's the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. So get your eyes of your small puny army. I know you're looking at your small puny army and you're thinking of the might of Syria. But my hand, God's hand will be upon you and he will guide you and he will give you power and give you ability to fight this fight. And it's the same with us. As simple human beings, we don't have the power that the enemy has got. We don't have his resources, but with God's help, we can overcome him. If we try to take the enemy on in our own strength, we're going to be defeated every time. But with God's help and God's grace and God's strength and God's power, then we can defeat the enemy that comes against us in our lives. Amen. Then he said, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Ah. Aphek. That was the place historically where Israel had one of their greatest victories over Syria in the past. Sometimes it's good to look back at your past victories because we forget them, don't we? If you're going through something at present, the tendency is to totally forget what you had gone through before and how God brought you through it. Because you say, this is a big battle I'm in. Yeah, well, that was a big battle you were in last year, the year before, 10 years ago. But you're here today. You came through that. Have you forgotten that? God was with you then, and God is with you now. And if he got you through that, he'll get you through this. Amen. Whenever David was facing, facing Goliath, what did he talk about? He talked about the lion and the bear in his past that he had defeated. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like the lion and the bear that he had defeated in the past. It's good sometimes to look back at your past victories. And so he's reminding him here that Aphek was where Israel had great victory in the past. Then he said, verse 18, then he said, take the arrows and so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Now here was a test for this king. Notice that Elisha didn't tell him how many times to strike. He just says, strike the arrows. He wanted to see, has this man got perseverance? 
Has he got a go-through spirit? Will he quit when the heat's on? And so he only struck three times, and the prophet was angry. He said, you should have kept on striking those arrows. In fact, he should have kept on striking them until the prophet told him to stop, but he didn't. Halfway through, he stopped. If only he had kept striking and striking and striking, he would have consumed his enemy completely. And in the end, because it tells us in the very last verse of that chapter, and Jehoash, or Joash, the son of Jehoaz, recaptured from the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, the cities of which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoaz, his father, by war. Three times Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. But he didn't consume them. If only he had struck again and again and again and again and again and again and again. He had utterly consumed them. Sally's sister from Australia is over at the moment. She's staying with her older sister. Been a backslider for over 30 years. Well over 30 years. And in that 30 years, Sally kept praying for her. She kept striking those arrows. And whenever she'd go to Australia to visit her, she kept striking those arrows. She had a wee chance with her. Sometimes she'd write her a letter. She kept striking those arrows. One time she wrote her a letter about the rapture and said, look, the Lord takes us in the rapture. You're welcome to all my stuff because you're not going. <laughs> she did. No pressure there. She didn't get an instant reply to that one, let me tell you. But she kept on striking and striking and striking and striking. In our prayer meeting, you've heard her pray. Those of you who come, you've heard her pray many times for sister in Australia, her backsliding sister. She kept striking, striking. And two Sunday mornings ago, I just announced the final prayer. I hadn't even stepped off this platform. She's sitting over there, and she came running over here to me crying. I want to come back to the Lord. What if she only struck two or three times? What if she had given up praying? I'm sure there was times she thought, nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. It's maybe getting worse. But she didn't give up. Hallelujah. And you've got to keep striking those arrows. And you've got to keep not giving up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep interceding. Keep witnessing. Keep doing whatever you need to do. But do not quit and give up. So much more could be accomplished if we do not quit. You may feel like it. You may be tired and weary, but do not give up. Keep striking those arrows. Glory to God. Yeah, he got his three victories. But he could have complete victory if he hadn't given up. And so that's the last physical act, the last prophetic word that Elisha, in all of those long years, had given. But God wasn't finished with him. <laughs> and then the most amazing thing happens next. 
And then Elisha died, and they buried him. Here is probably, other than Moses, for sure, the greatest miracle worker in the whole of the Old Testament. A mighty man of God. Incredible miracles were performed through his word. Tremendous prophecies that touched whole nations. And yet when he dies, all the Holy Spirit records is, and Elisha died, and they buried him. He's not mentioned in Hebrews 11 in a roll call of faith. <laughs> or Elijah either, for that matter. And the writer of Hebrews says, and time would not allow us to talk about Jephthah and Gideon and so forth. And then he says, and the prophets. God's not disrespecting this man. God's got a purpose in putting it this way. We'll see in a moment. This whole nation was more dependent on Elisha now than ever been. This is why this king had come to him, knowing that he's dying. He come to give him his respects and to hear from heaven, hoping and praying that God would have something to say, one last thing to say through this man. And he did. Then he died. That was it. What's Israel going to do now? Prophet's dead. Elisha died and they buried him. Every human being that has ever lived in the long history of this planet has died and will die. No question about that. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. The only two people in all of recorded history that did not die and went to heaven are Enoch and Elijah. You remember Enoch was out walking with God one day? He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. God just took him right into heaven. Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. It doesn't actually say, but in Revelation 11, those two witnesses during this reign of Antichrist, those two witnesses that came on the scene and shook the world for God <laughs> and judged men for God for three and a half years. Could that be Enoch and Elijah? Very possibly. At the end of three and a half years, the Antichrist forces finally overcame them and killed them, and they lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And the whole world saw it. And the Bible says the whole world rejoiced over it, and they sent each other gifts and presents. There was a world national holiday when these two were slain. And at the end of three and a half days, God raised them up. Hallelujah. And the whole world saw it. And he took them into heaven. The only ones that are going to escape in the future death is those who will go in the rapture. 
Elisha died and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year, time of the wheat harvest. These cruel, brutal Moabites, ancient enemies of Israel, they would come to the borderlands and they would kill men and they would steal harvests and they would capture the women and children and make them slaves. And there was a burial party out to bury one of their friends. Look what happens. And so it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. Couldn't reach the tomb that they had planned to go to because they were frightened when they saw these raiders coming. So they were right at the tomb of Elijah. Providentially, in the plan of God and the purpose of God, they're right at Elijah's tomb. So they said, well, we'll put him in here. Now look what happens. They put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Isn't that incredible? The bones of a dead man resurrected the body of a dead man. Only God can do that. Now, there was no virtue in Elisha's dead bones, but God just used them as a point of contact as it was, and when they touched this dead body, it raised this dead man to life again. What a wonderful miracle. By the way, if you count up, as others have, I haven't, but if you count up all the miraculous things that Elijah, Elijah did and all the miraculous things including this one's the last one that Elisha did is exactly twice as many the double portion that was promised to him but what was God saying through this act not just to show us his miracle work in power God was speaking to this king and he was speaking to this nation. You see, when that happened, can you imagine when that man came out of that grave, that tomb, and, and there was his friends all running up the hill, him running after him, and he's only got his grave clothes on, he's trying to get up this hill as fast as he can. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine what they got back to their village and their town and their city and told everybody, very soon the word would get right back to the palace, to Joash. And here's the message that God was sending. The message is that even though the prophet of God is dead, the God of the prophet is very much alive. Hallelujah. The God of the prophet is still very much alive. They would be concerned that the prophet of God is gone. But God says, I'm still here. Look to me. You don't need to look to the prophet he's gone look to me I'm still alive I'm still working on your behalf I'll still help you to defeat the Syrians if you look to me we got our eyes on men don't we but what happens when the men are no longer there what happens if God takes them or God moves them on what are we going to do If you're looking to God, God will still be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. 
He's not going to die suddenly or otherwise. He's still in charge of your life. He's still got the power that you need for your life. He's still got the plan for your life to work out. And that's what God is saying through this miracle. To the nation and to the king, I'm in charge. Yes, I used the man. Yes, I used him mightily. Yes, he was a great prophet. Yes, he was a wonderful miracle worker. But he's gone. He's dead. That's over. But I'm still alive. And I'm still working on your behalf. Amen? And so he revived. And he stood up on his feet. What a tremendous man of God. What a story. Now let me finish with this. Even after he was dead, his influence lived on. Like Abel, Hebrews 9.27, he being dead yet speaks. What about our lives? If God was to take us today, what influence would continue on in our lives, in our church life, or in our national life? Would it make any difference? Would it make any difference to anybody? Makes you think, doesn't it? It's a challenge, isn't it? That the day God takes us home, would we have had enough influence in our lives to touch somebody else's life even after we're gone? You know, there's some great men and women of God and sometimes they have left us a legacy of their words and their messages and their life story. And if you read their life story, you get so inspired and challenged. Great preachers, great prophets, great missionaries, great men and women of God, and they left a legacy behind that touched the lives and is still touching the lives of many people today. I'm sure some will never imagine in a million years that after maybe two or three hundred years that their words are still being read today and still being encouraged today. Hmm. When David wrote the 23rd Psalm, do you think he realized that thousands of years later that we would be singing that? It's hardly, I mean, Johnny's granny died during the week and I was at the funeral there and uh, on Thursday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever day it was, and they sang the 23rd Psalm. As how many funerals you've been at? We sang the 23rd Psalm. After all those years, it still resonates in people's hearts. Even unbelievers know the 23rd Psalm. So we leave something behind that will influence others for the kingdom of God. Trust so. We're not in the stature of the stand of Elisha. Not saying that. But something of our lives should touch others. Why we're living even after we're gone. Amen? Amen. So thank God for this great prophet. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
just wondering this morning is maybe a part of your life is hurting. There's maybe a pain in your heart. There's maybe an area of your life where you feel defeated. Some of you maybe feel hollow on the inside. Some of you are struggling even to get to the house of God this morning was a struggle. I want to tell you the God of Elisha still lives. Amen. And he's for you. And he wants to help you and strengthen you and heal you and minister his life to you. He said, David, I'm tired. I'm spiritually tired. I battled and battled and battled. Well, let the Lord lift you up today. Let him strengthen you on the inside. Would you stand with me one more time, please? Just, just at your seat where you are. I'm going to pray and I want you to focus just for a moment if there's an area in your life say Lord I need strength in this area I need your help I need your grace I need your touch I need your healing touch I need you to minister to me today Lord I'm tired and weary I need your strength I'm hurting. Lord, I need your grace to touch me today. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you are for us. You gave your very life for us through Jesus, your son. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray for my, my friends, these precious ones, your people, with all of their needs, things that hurt them, stuff they're going through right now, feeling, Lord, perhaps defeated and beaten. Lord, would you touch them today? Would you lift them up in their spirits? Would you minister your life into them today. Lord, would you take them from where they are and place them where you want them to be in Christ. Lord, you have so much more for them. Lord, I pray that they will not give up or give in, but they will continue to follow after and pursue you with all of their energy and life, even if they're tired right now, that they'll stand up on the inside and say, Lord, I will not quit I'm going forward in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, let your presence, let your favor, let your goodness, let your mercy touch them. Let your healing touch their lives today in the name of Jesus and bring life 
where there's death and bring hope where there's fear. We thank you for this, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Bless you, Lord, that you're alive today and you're working on our behalf, bringing us into the place where you want us to be, giving us the things that you want us to have in this life to be the people of God that you intend. So we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.